0: Scripture reading is going to be Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you've had a wonderful week. Friends, I've had a great week. My my parents came in last Monday from North Carolina and so they're with us today. You get to meet and talk to them uh, at the end of the service if you'd like. Wonderful wonderful people. Um and this week it's it's kind of odd. I was reminded of something that I'd learned from kindergarten. And so I don't know if it's because my parents were in town and, you know, I'm their son and it it threw me back into nostalgia from the good old days, but I was reminded of something that we learned in kindergarten class in fire safety, okay? I think the, the deep fried turkey incidents also might have contributed to this jogging, this memory. But if your clothes catch on fire, there's three steps. Stop, drop, and... Roll. That's right. So we're all familiar with those. Now I hope that if there was a fire drill, we'd be you know proactively you know good at, at following through in that. But I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about the the fact that that's not really my natural inclination. If I was to catch on fire, I don't think I'm going to stop. I think I'm going to run. Uh, I think I'm going to panic, not stay still. And uh, and it relates to what we're looking at in Philippians four this morning we really have to prepare our minds. We have to be deeply ingrained with certain things because when a, when a crisis hits, we need to know how to respond and respond quickly and respond in a God-glorifying way. These three simple steps of stop, drop, and roll, they, they help fire victims to reduce the potential damage and minimize the injury in the event that your clothes do catch on fire. You're supposed to stop not run. If you run, you're going to fan flames. You're going to be crisp far sooner. You need to drop to the ground. You've got to lie down. You've got to cover your face with your hands, and then you're going to roll back and forth, and that's going to extinguish the flames, hopefully, because it's cutting off the oxygen. There's a lot of songs on YouTube about stop, drop, and roll now, and so it helps kids to memorize this progression, these steps, The reality is you you probably will not ever catch on fire. (laughs) I hope you never catch on fire, just to be clear. But that's what you should do if you do. The, The more likely scenario is that you're faced with a crisis in life where you feel like you're on fire and you feel like everything around you is burning down. Metaphorically, you feel like things are on fire. There are times of great anxiety, times of great worry, great stress, they come for us all, and, and so as believers, as Christians, how are we to respond when these situations come up? Ultimately, this passage encourages us to turn to the God of peace, and it's not like a separate God from the God whom we worship. It's, it is God. It is the triune God. It is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the one God. He is the God of peace. That's one of his names. This passage will help us to fight off anxieties in life as they come, because they will come. Helps us find true peace. It helps us experience the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. I mean, it goes beyond comprehension. You can't logically rationalize what's happening when you're experiencing the peace of God. Let's look again at this text. I want to just read back through it. I want to reflect on it, meditate on it, get it in us. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I've entitled this morning's message "The God of Peace," and that's who I hope is exalted this morning. Our God is a God of peace. The first thing I want you to see in this text is really the stop of the stop, drop, and roll. When we're faced with anxieties, what what are we to do? We're we're to stop. Well, not really to stop, but we're to start doing something. We're to start rejoicing and we're to rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse four again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Again, when you are, if you were to be caught on fire. Uh, you're you're not likely going to stop. You're likely going to want to try to put that fire out. You're going to panic and run around. And in the same way, when a crisis hits, it's so common for us, even as relatively mature believers, to panic. But the Word of God would encourage us not to worry further in those moments, but to worship even in those moments. To turn to the God of peace and to rejoice in the Lord no matter what life throws our way. That's not a natural thing to do. That, that's, a, that's a whole new muscle group that you've got to exercise and, and retrain, your, your, rewire your brain to do. And yet it is an imperative command in the word of God to rejoice in the Lord. In, in context, it's, it's rejoicing in the Lord in light of a conflict, in light of relational ten, tension and anxiety. And I think it might come across as a little strange. I mean, how can you command someone to feel something? How can you command someone to rejoice in a moment that's not a joyful moment in and of itself? But I do think that overall, the the world and the messaging of the world tends to brainwash us into really thinking that joy and love and other emotions are things that happen to us they're things that, that we simply experience spontaneously. That's where the, the saying, follow your heart comes from. You, you see, it's saying, let your feelings lead you, not lead your feelings. Not, not lead your emotions, not take the reins of how you're feeling. And the Bible just, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say follow your heart at all. It says do the exact opposite. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are commands. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always, even in crisis, even in difficult circumstances, even in the valley. Our feelings are to be conformed by the word of God. We are to lead our feelings, not be led by our feelings. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, our feelings and emotions are not isolated from our thinking and our willing, but guided by them. Again, this takes discipline. But I want you to see where this command to rejoice in the Lord is found. In context here, we, we heard last week from Tom in verses 1 through 3 that there was a conflict in Philippi. Paul's addressing it. He even brings up who is in the conflict. It says that uh, Euodia and Syntyche were two people in particular that were to agree in the Lord. They were to find reconciliation and common ground in God and in his word. And it reminded us that there's conflict. I mean, we have relational conflict, don't we? Thanksgiving sometimes is a, a time that's joyful and fun, but you get families together and there's, some, there's sometimes some tension. Even we as believers in a, within a church, we can have relational conflict at times and we've got to deal with it. But I think it's interesting that, that Paul says not only are they to agree in the Lord, but they are to rejoice in the Lord in context of a disagreement, in context of a conflict. Why are they to rejoice in the Lord? Because the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled them to a holy God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is able to reconcile them to one another. Praise God. Paul is encouraging them to rejoice in the Lord and he is repeating the command. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. He's trying to emphasize the importance of continually rejoicing in the Lord as it relates to anxiety and relational tension. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Meaning, Rejoicing in the Lord is not just something to do when the the fire alarms are going off and there's a crisis and it's like, what do I do? Oh yeah, rejoice in the Lord. No, rejoicing in the Lord is something that we are to do continually. We're to continue to set our eyes and our gaze on Christ and His person and His work and the gospel and we are to rejoice. No matter what's going on in our life, there's reason to rejoice in the Lord. We can do it always. It's not just a reaction to anxiety it is proactive activity to guard against anxiety paul prescribes the frequency saying do this always and it's not the only place in the new testament that he does this first thessalonians 5 he says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Again, we have good reason to rejoice in the Lord. Friends, you you and I are going to experience more relational tension, conflict between you and another person, even believers at times. We're going to have to reconcile many, many times. But Jesus Christ you will never experience that with him. He's never going to sin against you. You'll, you're never going to have to go reconcile uh, with him because he has sinned against you. He, he's never going to slander you. He's never going to gossip against you. He's never going to speak ill of you. He's never going to harm you with his words or with his actions. He has come not to create conflict with us. He came to resolve the conflict that we had with God because of our sin. He came not to condemn us. He came to save us. He has come to do good things, and he has done great things at the cross. We have reason to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is he good, not only has he done good things, he will never do bad things. He does not change. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says he's the same yesterday, he's the same today and forever. So you don't have to worry about him changing, even when your circumstances do change, when you go from the top of the mountain peak, when things are great, and then all of a sudden you're at the base of the valley, and it's the hardest season of your life. He does not change. He is good. He is good always. And in those moments where you are in the valley, and it's the dark night of the soul, he has compassion for you. He knows what it's like. He sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was tortured and crucified. I discovered this this week in my studies that the word excruciating actually came about as a result of the Roman crucifixion process. Excruciating from the cross. It was a word to describe intense, intense, pain. There, there was no word to describe what happened to people on that cross. There was no word to describe what they did to your Savior at that cross, what your sin did to him. And so they had to come up with a word. It's excruciating. Now we use it when we roll our ankle or we get a little boo-boo and we say, oh, it's excruciating pain. We don't know the half of it. He knows what it was. So that night before he went to the cross, he was in the garden and he sweat blood. He knew what was coming. And he said, "Father, not my will, but your will be done." He knows what it's like to feel anxious. And he knows what it's like to battle anxiety in prayer. He offers you wisdom in those times where you're anxious. How do I navigate this crisis? He offers you Patience and grace in those times when you don't navigate it as righteously as you wish you had. He offers you peace in those times if you just come to him. When Paul says in verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I think it means that it's reasonable to rejoice in the Lord, but as I was digging deeper into that, it's, it's not just that. Yes, it's reasonable to re- rejoice in the Lord always, but actually, that word, reasonableness, is gentleness. And again, as you see in context here in Philippians 4, how is it connected to the passage we just looked at with the relational conflict and the tension? Well, have you not been in a crisis and, and acted a little unrighteously at times? Have you, surely. Have you not felt justified when you were anxious to, to say certain things or do certain things That we're unrighteous? Sure you have. I have. So we're called to be reasonable in those moments, meaning we're called to be gentle with those around us, even when they're not gentle towards us, even when they're not kind towards us, even when they're not respectful towards us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is gentle and patient and kind to us consistently. The Lord Jesus Christ is at hand in these moments of great anxiety, in these crises it says it right here in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Meaning He's near in those moments. Sometimes it feels like, where are you in this moment? When, when this great tragedy is upon you, it's like, where is God? And if you're like me, there, there have been times in the past where you go, if you were near, this wouldn't be happening. And yet He is near. And you've got to remember, you are in a fallen world. And He's nearly here. He's coming back. And there's a promise. It's his promise in Revelation 21 that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Everyone. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things will be gone. They will have passed away. It's like they've they've died not to come alive again. It's a great time. And and I love that the verses leading up to that text speak of why. Why is that going to happen? Why will things be that good? It says because God's dwelling place will be with man. Like in the most tangible, unbelievable way. Us with God, God with us forever. When anxiety begins to rear its head, we need to Stop, so to speak. Stop worrying. Get off the treadmill of worrying. Stop focusing on the crisis at hand and get your eyes on the Christ who is above every crisis. We're to to stop worrying and start worshiping. We're to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of a crisis. That's not easy. That requires a fellowship of believers that are speaking that into our minds and into our hearts and encouraging us with the good news. He's near and he's nearly here. The Lord is at hand in this dark moment. Secondly, so the stop, drop, and roll. Drop, what is that equated to? It's to drop to your knees in prayer. So the first thing you need to think of when a crisis is coming and you're tempted to be anxious and you're tempted to grow in anxiety is this, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because I have nothing right now to rejoice in, practically speaking, in in this circumstance, in these situations that I'm in. So I'm going to rejoice in Him and then I'm going to request help from my Lord in these moments. He's able to help. Look at verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So just as rejoicing is a command, we're to rejoice in the Lord so is not being anxious in a way. He's saying, do not be anxious. It's an imperative command. And it's interesting because Paul's not coming up with something new. He's, he's echoing Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't say it once. He says it twice to repeat, do not be anxious. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That word anxious, do not be anxious it's merim na'o in the original language. It means to be troubled with cares. It, it literally is pictured in someone or something being torn in half. To be troubled, to be anxious is to be pulled apart. And if you've ever experienced anxiety of any measure, and I know you have because you're human, and I have too, That's what it feels like. It feels like you're just being torn apart. Your hope is over here, but then the crisis is pulling you over here, and you're just split in half. The word worry, it comes from an old English word meaning to strangle. And man, if you've ever experienced really severe anxiety, that's what it feels like. It just feels like the life is being strangled out of you. And and God doesn't want that for you. He knows that you're going to battle with it in this fallen world, but, but he wants to save you from it. He wants you to turn to the God of peace in the moments of anxiety. He wants to help. He wants you to go to him in prayer. The reality is we're not to be anxious about anything. In other words, we're never justified in being anxious about something. It's never like, well, no, this, I should be, I should, I'm justified in being anxious about this. No, be anxious for nothing. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be anxious, does it? There's going to be plenty of times where we're anxious. Plenty of opportunities to grow in anxiety and let it rule and reign over us. And so we have to train our minds. We have to be renewed through our minds of truth in those moments. What do we turn to? The God of peace in prayer. We're not to feed our anxiety in those moments. We're not to passively allow it to linger or loiter. We're not to say, hey, have a seat on my couch, in my heart, in my mind. No, you're to kick them out the front door by turning to God in prayer. We're not to abide in our anxieties. We're not to live in them. We're to fight to abide in Christ in those moments and live in him, to rejoice in him, to let your request be made known to him. I mean, friends, I can't tell you how many times I just cry out, "Help! Help! This seems like a lot. I'm burdened, Father. Jesus, I'm this is I feel tense. I need your help. Alleviate these worries. And then I just name them specifically. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about the future. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? How are we going to handle this situation? What if this happens? And he wants you to just walk through all those things with him. Not because he doesn't know. He knows. He sees your heart. He sees your mind. But he wants to relate to you as a loving father and a child. He loves us. He's not like a boss in corporate America who says, don't bring those things to me. Those are small matters. Those need to be dealt with with the lower caste employees. He says, bring them all to me. He says, cast them all on me. He says, I'm strong enough to bear them all. I'm wise enough to handle them all. Just come to me. There's never a point in your adult life. You never reach a point of maturity, which we talked about recently in philippians earlier a couple weeks ago there's never a point where you reach a point in your maturity in your christian faith where you are now able to bear your anxieties by yourself there's never a point where he doesn't want you as a child of god to come and say these are all yours i can't handle these i need you to help me navigate these things wisely righteously in a way that glorifies you in a way that shines a light To the world around me. Because the reality is, the darkest night of your soul is one of the most evangelistic opportunities and ministries that God could ever give you. It's not when things are good, when people look and they go, wow, they are so godly. Think about Job. Satan said, hey, if we mess with this guy, He'll stop rejoicing in you. If we take away everything from this man, including his family, his home, he'll stop worshiping you. He didn't stop. And he dialogued with God, didn't he? He wants you to cast them all on him. Every one of your cares, big, small, take them all to your heavenly Father. Christ was crucified to make you a child of God through faith alone in, in Christ alone. You become a beloved child of God. One who can go to the Father whenever you want in prayer. Leverage it. Enjoy it. Relish it. Be a light for the people around you who don't know the God of peace. They don't know God. And they're looking at you and they're going, well, how is she dealing with this? How is he able to continue? How can he go on? And the only variable that they can see that's different from them and you is that you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and you have God the Father as your Father. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. In the dark night of the soul, we're so tempted to believe the lie of the enemy that God doesn't care about you. Oh, he doesn't love you. And if he did, he wouldn't do this to you. And yet the reality is he absolutely loves you and this might be the greatest ministry opportunity of your life, this crisis. And what are you gonna do? Are you gonna turn to something else or are you gonna turn to the God of peace and experience the peace of God and shine a light? He wants us to take a beach towel that's just completely soaked in water with our worries and our troubles. And he wants just to, to wring it out at his feet. This is too heavy to carry. And all true prayer is to be made with thanksgiving in our hearts. Again, we have reason to, to rejoice in the Lord. We have reason to give thanks, even in these dark hours. Friends, we again have access to God the Father, we can go to him whenever we want in prayer. And he is a loving father. He he wants you to bring it. He wants to hear you out. He wants, he's inviting you to him. And he delights in providing for his children. See, the fruit of going to God in prayer in these moments is that we experience the peace of God. Look at verse 7. It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus There's no shortcut to peace. It's a straight line to peace. The pathway to peace is prayer. To true peace. I love what Jesus says in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. And then he makes a distinction. He says, my peace I give to you. He goes, not as the world do I give. A shallow peace. It's not real. It's not going to sustain you in the dark hour. It says, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I bring you the peace of God. I am the prince of peace is what Jesus is saying. I brought you ultimate peace with God. I was crucified so that you could be reconciled to a holy God. I love you. He loves you. We sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to be your helper and your comforter in moments just like this, to intercede for you in prayers that are like groanings too deep for words. The triune God loves us. Isaiah 26, 3 says this. It says, you, God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is not the peace of the world. It's perfect peace. It's complete. Only the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds from these anxieties that are coming. God's peace is more powerful than in any guardian on earth. And I think it's appropriate that Paul uses the word guard here because he is in, imprisoned in Rome. I mean, he's in house arrest. He's chained to one of the most elite Roman guards in the empire. And yet God is able to guard him far better. And he's to guard him from anxieties. The peace of God again, is seen when your circumstances are not peaceful. Leverage those opportunities, friends. Those are ministry moments for you and I. So, to stop is to rejoice in the Lord. To drop is to drop to your knees in prayer and request help from the Lord. And to roll is to reflect in the goodness of the Lord. It's to reflect and the good things from the Lord. Look at verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So we as believers are not just to sing to the Lord. We're not just to bring our anxieties to the Lord. To pour them out on Him. But we are to be filled with the good things of the Lord in those moments. We're to fill our minds with truth. With things that are praiseworthy. We're to meditate and reflect on them. Think about, these this two words, think about, it's in the present tense, meaning it is meant to be continual. It's, it's not just in those hard moments, it is in all moments. We're to be mindful of the goodness that is in God, the God of peace. Because the reality is, if, if you and I, if we just focus on what's wrong, we're going to live wrongly. We're going to live in worry. But if we focus on what's right and righteous, We'll live righteously. John MacArthur said this. He said, spiritual stability is the result of how a person thinks. The Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives, the practical, are the product of their thoughts. That requires the intentional. We got to be in the Word of God. I say it every week, don't I? I mean, we got to be in the Bible. Sunday through Sunday, in quiet places and in corporate places. Steve Lawson says, the deposits that are being made into your mind are yielding a return with interest in your life, whether it be good or bad. So what are we to reflect on? I'm just going to run through these things. Whatever's true. Well, what's true? what's not false. Well, how do we know what's true from false? Our discernment comes from being in the word of God because the word of God is truth. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, John 17, your word is truth, that they are to be sanctified in the truth and the word of God is the truth. There is no growth. There is no maturity. There is no sanctification. There is no better battling anxieties in this world apart from the word of God. Think about what's true in these moments. Think about the promises of God in these moments. Think about the fact that Jesus Christ is not far but near in these moments. Think about the fact that these moments remind you that you're not home. But when he comes, he'll make all things new. I mean, these moments are helping us long for his return and not get lost in this broken and fallen world trying to find our home here. We're not there yet. He's coming. Think about what's honorable. Whatever is honorable, the the word honorable, it means high morality. It means something that's dignified. It means that we we think about things that are in heaven, not on earth. It It means that we get our minds out of the gutter and into heaven, into the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We're to think about what's just. And that word just means right, upright, holy. It means that which conforms to God's law. It's fair. It's, it's kind of interesting, I, especially on Black Friday, you know, all I'm thinking about is the great deals. I'm not thinking about what's just. I'm not thinking about what's fair. I'm thinking about, give me the 30% off on that, that'd be great. Give me 50% off on that, that's better. But God rejoices in what's fair, He loves in equal measure. That word just in the ancient times was used on the scales in the marketplaces. That they would put a standardized measure in, in one spot on the scale and then they would measure the amount of grain to make sure that it was equal when it was poured out on the other. God loves just things. We're to think about what's pure. That word pure is hagnos. It comes from the word hagios, which is holy or holiness. So, so what's, what is purity? It's something that's set apart. It's holy. It's, it's not impure. It is righteous. We're to fill our minds with what's wholesome. There, there's so much that's just not wholesome. I mean, I, I was driving past the Cinemark recently and, and I was talking to my wife and I was like, I just feel like I can't, I can't go to movies anymore. It's like it just gets worse What's what's being put into the the, the movie theaters. It's just hard to find something that's wholesome. There's so much leaven of evil and immorality within so much of the the media and the, the movies and things that are being produced today. It's hard to find anything wholesome. And we've really got to be careful with that because everything that we take in through our eyes and our ears is affecting us. I mean, we're becoming what we're beholding. Are you growing in purity or, or impurity? A lot of that answer depends on what you're looking at and what you're listening to. We're to reflect on what is lovely. And you know what I love about this? What is lovely? It's not subjective. Whatever God says is lovely is lovely. And whatever God says is unlovely, unlovely. What does God say is lovely? What does God look at and he goes, that's lovely? That's lovely. That's pleasing in my sight. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what he loves, and then I'll I'll point you to the scriptures where it is. It's all over the place. He loves it when when we are walking by faith, not by sight. He He loves it when we come to Him and, and we just trust in His Word. He loves it when we walk in accordance with his will, not because, yeah, that seems most logical to me, God. Good. That's good. That's a good path. But when we go, it might not even seem most logical to me, but I'm not going to reason or rationalize or argue with you. You You're the God of the world. You know how everything's designed. I'm going to just trust you and walk in line. You lead me to life, not death. He loves that. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. I love how it starts. Now may the God of peace, there he is, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That's lovely to God. What's commendable? It says reflect on whatever is commendable. Think about the things that are good. Think about the things that are easy to recommend. Think about the things that are highly regarded by God and are well spoken of in his word. He says if there's anything excellent, and the thing is sometimes you're in a situation where it is like so dark and discouraging that you're looking around and you're like, is there any excellence in this situation? And in those moments where you're going, I don't see anything excellent, look to him. He's excellent. Always. Our human tendency is to reflect and get bogged down with all that's terrible. You know why? Because it's, a fallen world. I mean, things are pretty terrible most of the time in this fallen world. There's some good moments, but we're not home yet. And so we have to discipline our hearts and our minds to think about the things that are good, the things that are excellent. And friends, the more we reflect on the the excellent things, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the conversations at your dinner table. I mean, it's just going to change things. And then People who are being discipled by you, who are watching your life, who are sitting at the table with you, are going to go, man, they're like rejoicing even when things are hard. They're talking about excellent things and they're going to begin to realize all I talk talk about is the bad news that's on television and most of it's bad because it's a fallen world. We're not home yet, but he's coming. He says, Reflect on anything that's worthy of praise. I mean, this requires we really take time to think. This, this isn't just a quick boom, boom. This is a meditate. What's worthy of praise? What, what is the good right now? What is the good of the goodness of the Lord? What is the goodness from the Lord that I can be, praise God for? Praise God for this. And again, in those dark moments, and you're going, I don't know. I just don't know. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ. He is worthy of your praise always and forever. And really, these eight marks of things that we're to reflect on, they're just virtues of Jesus Christ. They're just a description of our Savior. They're just a description of the God of peace. Look to God when you're anxious It's one thing to know what to do. Stop, drop, and roll, right? It's another thing when you catch on fire. Will you practice what you preach? Will you put into practice what you've learned? Will you be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word? And that's why Paul concludes this section in verse 9, saying, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul was a living example. I mean, again, he was inviting the Philippians and many others, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he was imitating a Christ who's in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was coming. He could see the dark night coming, and it was the next day of dawn. And yet, what did he do in those moments he went to God the Father in prayer? Sweating blood, he went to God the Father in prayer, riddled with fear for what they were to do with his body the next day, scourged, beaten, blindfolded and beaten. He knew what was coming, and yet he was able to endure it because he went to the God of peace in prayer. Not my will, Lord. Your will be done. Paul was imitating Christ, and so Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate the Savior. He was in house arrest. He was under great duress. He did not know what the verdict would be. He did not know if they would knock on the door and say, bring him in. It's execution time. He did not know if they would knock on the door and say, you're free to go. He had to wait in this in-between I don't have all the knowledge or the facts of what's going to happen type of darkness. And he had the God of peace in that room with him. And he was guarded with guards in Rome by chains, but the God of peace was guarding his heart and his mind. And he's saying, imitate me. I'm putting into practice what I know to be true by looking to Christ. I mean, he wasn't just sitting back in this cold clinical way saying... This is the prescribed medicine for anxiety. He was saying this is this this is effective. Christ is effective. He wanted them to know the God of peace the way he did so that the people in darkness in Philippi could have peace with God that they could be reconciled to God that they could be saved first and foremost. And after that, that they too, with their worries, could turn to the God of peace and experience the peace of God. This passage is equipping us. I mean, if we look ahead and we look to 2024 and we say, that year will be better. I'm going to cut out these people in my life that's negative, and and I'm not going to have the same... Situations that were difficult as last year, we're past that now. If we put our hope in 2024, we'll be discouraged, we'll be left disappointed. But if we put our hope in the God of peace, who's with us always to the end of this anxious age, we'll navigate this this new year with peace amidst trials together. We need to be open with our God. We need to keep our Bibles open. And we need to be open with one another. Anxieties are sure to come. The God of peace will never leave us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us direction on where to turn when we are in the dark night of the soul when we are filled with fear and worry and anxiety. We pray that by your grace that you would help us to turn to you quicker in these moments. We pray that you would help us to bear one another's burdens in those moments to exhort one another with truth, to come alongside one another with compassion, to sit with one another in silence, hold one another's hands, be present as you are always present with us. Remind one another that we're not home yet. Remind one another of what is on the horizon for those who have their faith in Christ. Remind one another of the ministry opportunity that is at play in the suffering. Remind one another that if this is an opportunity to experience more of God. The God of peace. To experience the peace of God. Which goes above and beyond our comprehension. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.